What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Forever! Dog! On today's episode of Weekend at Bergman's, Joe and I debate the merits of two films about love, longing, and forbidden desire. In the mood for love, and she's out of my league. Joe, are you ready? You know it, Brett. Then roll that theme song! Every week we watch two movies together Well, not quite together cause we watch them apart You at your house and me at mine Whoa, every week we watch the same two movies But not the same two movies that we watched last week But how do we choose these two movies? Well, one is a brilliant, beautiful work of cinematic art, the height of the medium, and the other one is mainstream. I'm talking popcorn, baby, Hollywood endings, but what happens when we watch them back to back and have to say which one? We liked better and we have to be honest. Welcome, welcome to Weekend at Bergman's. We're gonna watch an art house movie and a mainstream movie, and we're gonna tell you which one we like better, and we're gonna be honest, and the one we like better is gonna go in the canon, and the one that we didn't like as much is gonna go in the trash canon, and we're never allowed to watch it again for the rest of our lives. That's the premise of this podcast. Welcome, my name is Brett Bohm. I'm seated across from my co-host, Joe Cilio. Welcome back, everybody. Joe, would you say that human desire contains the seeds of its own destruction? Desire? Yeah, human desire. Is it inherently unsatisfiable? No. I've been satisfied many times. I asked you that question because uh, this week's movies, In the Mood for Love and She's Out of My League, are about desire. Yes. Uh, Forbidden desire. Uh, whether it be the forbidden desire of infidelity or the forbidden desire of loving some uh, sad sack schmuck who works at TSA. Mm. Uh, but before we get into this week's movies, um, I hope you indulge me. I wanted to do a new segment. Uh, this is the second episode. We we released our first episode last week and then just got an outpouring of, of feedback from listeners on social media. Um, I think that was pretty much it. Did you get any feedback by any other means? No. Okay, yeah. So people tell us what they think on social media. Um, and so I wanted to do a new segment uh, uh, called Thank You. Okay, Thank great. You. All right. That sounds lovely. You're not going to sing again, are you? You're not going to sing over the song, are you? Thank you, listeners. <laughs> thank you, listeners. How's this a thank, thank you? Thank you, thank you, listeners. Seems like a fuck you to the listeners. 
Last week was the launch week for the podcast, as we say, and I just want to say uh, thank you to everyone who listened, who subscribed, yes. uh, who listened to our first episode, the Seven Seal versus Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah. Uh, Bernie's, of course, won that battle and moved into the cannon. The Seven Seal uh, went into the trash cannon, uh, which means we can never see it again for the rest of our lives. Uh, how's that sitting with you, Joe? The fact that you can never again watch the Seven Seal. Honestly, it aged like a fine wine, Brett. Yeah, I'm thrilled. I don't want to watch the Seventh Seal, and I can't wait to watch Weekend at Bernie's. I'm surprisingly at peace with it as well, mm -hmm. um, uh, but we're still early days here. We're still just in the first week. Yeah. Uh, assuming we both live relatively long lives. Yeah. Uh, I probably have a better shot at that than you do. Um, we uh, There might come a time where, I don't know, where this becomes more of an issue. Uh, I think we should continue to check back on our feelings about Absolutely. the trash can. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but regardless of your feelings, of course, you are beholden, of course, to the, the cannon and the trash. Just because you feel really bad about it, you can never watch the seventh seal again. You got that? Look, that is the pact we made. You agree, right? You can look back. You can bemoan. You can cry. You can scream into the night. But you may never, as long as you live until your dying day and all your reincarnations. I didn't add that in the first podcast, but through all your reincarnations and all your rebirths throughout time and space, you can never watch a seventh seal ever again. That's the pact you made to me. You promised me that, right? Now, what if, let me run a scenario by you. What if you're at one of these bars, one of these bars that shows movies on the screen above the bar. Mm -hmm. You're sitting there, you're having a drink. Mm -hmm. uh, it switches over to the next movie and it's mm -hmm. the seventh seal. Yeah. And of course you, what do you do? You call a cab, Brett. And you don't take an Uber, you don't take a Lyft. You call a yellow cab. What if before you call that cab, or while that cab is coming, Right. The movie hasn't started yet there. He's like the, the bartender's like trying to find the remote. It's like the yep. opening DVD screen. Yep. He's trying to find the. Yeah. And you uh, got to bird box it. You get a little tap on your shoulder and you turn around. Yeah. And it's, it's John Carpenter, director of the thing, John Carpenter. Okay. Uh, and he says, this is crazy, but yeah. I just love this freaking movie. Seventh Seal. Yeah. OK. You're like I just usually I don't go in for these artsy fartsy things. Yeah. You know me. I'm a yeah, master yeah, yeah. of genre. Yeah. I just love this damn movie yeah. so much. Uh-huh. What do you say? Yeah. What, do you, what do you say, buddy? You want to hang out and watch it with me? Maybe we can talk about it. Brett, this is the per you just put your hand on his withering shoulder. You say I made it that man is as strong as an ox and you know he's it. The greatest guy, he's the greatest guy in the world. You say, John, you know what? It's the funniest fucking thing. But have you heard my podcast Weekend at Bergman's? And he goes, No, I have not. You tell him the premise. Carpenter will be rolling around on the floor and he'll buy you a freaking drink. Joe, that's why you are a master of promotion. I love it. it your mind goes right to the money, right to the, right to the sweet spot. <laughs> you say, not only do you stick by our oath that we yeah. took, you convert a new listener, no, and it's none other no. than John Carpenter. And when, when Carpenter hears that you chose Weekend at Bernie's over Seventh Seal, he'll 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 have a wry smile. He'll pat you on the back, and he'll invite you over to play a, a NBA Two K. Uh, you know, nine, you know, 2012. You've told me this. He's a, he's an avid basketball fan, avid, which only enhances he the myth. only plays Xbox, watches basketball and writes the scores for the new Halloween movies with his son because he's fun and cool. Good God. Well, that was the test and you passed. I don't know if I'll be so strong uh, when that inevitably happens, but we'll we'll see. Well, Carpenter will have already been a guest. He'll know. Don't worry about this moment. Fist bump. This is like, um, uh, I was watching that uh, uh, Jim Carrey, Andy Kaufman documentary yeah. uh, that's, oh. that's moved over to Netflix now. Such an yeah. interesting such one. An, such an yeah, interesting, yeah. Uh, brutal yeah. watch. Um, but he's a big, uh, you know, he's a big, he's a guy who is like, like uh, obsessively unfunny off camera, right? Like very, uh, maybe both, but Jim Carrey I'm okay. thinking of. Like, you know, very into 
uh, life philosophy Ugh. and this and that, right? Horrible. But he's a big like self actualizer. Yeah, horrendous. Uh, and they made a they made a big old meal out of this anecdote where he wrote himself a uh, I don't know a check for like. Ten million dollars. Yeah, when he got to Hollywood, and he's like, "If I don't cash this in three um, years, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now why didn't we do that?" Well, I'm, that's one thing we should do it for Carpenter. We should okay. like maybe save a seat oh. for Carpenter or what, something. Yeah, like Some sort of yeah, call Come. it call it into being, summon it into being. That would be fantastic. You, you, just, you just email him. We could, yeah, that's much easier. But something yeah. I don't know worked for Jim Carrey. <laughs> Uh, apparently he then put uh, that check cause it wasn't a real check. It was like a thing. It was like a, you know, a symbol. This, the, um, nothing about the story is real. He said he put the check in his father's suit pocket when they buried him. So his father is buried with this check. Um, Amy came in, my wife, Amy came into the room kind of mid th- midway through me watching this and she didn't realize it was a fake check. Her eyes lit up <laughs> with the light of like, she was, she was, if I hadn't have told her what had happened, well, like the context. Uh-huh. She would have been at the cemetery that night. Shovel. Yeah. She was yeah. like, wait, there's Jim Carrey's yeah. dad was buried with a yeah. $10 million check. <laughs> it's a good plot for a movie that Amy should write. Thank you to everyone who follows us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. That's at Weekend Bergman. Follow us on there. We're doing some fun stuff. Um, thank you to everyone who suggested uh, episode pairings for us. There's so many good yeah. ones pouring in. Uh, I won't coming. Yeah, I won't spoil any because we are going to do listener suggested pairings. Yeah. In fact, uh, starting very soon. Uh, we've got our first three episodes already planned out, uh, but after that, we're going to do a listener-suggested episode every month. So please send us your suggestions. Uh, the best place for that is Twitter, at uh, Weekend Bergman. Uh, and once again, it's an art house film, and it's yeah. a mainstream movie, and they should be, uh, uh, you know... Uh, Thematically linked. Thank you. Uh, a special shout-out. This is a shout-out, not a thank you. I don't have a separate theme song for that. Uh, well... Yet a special shout out to Kellen Smith, a very talented video editor who has been working. Uh, He did this incredible re-edit of Weekend at Bernie's. Uh, He sent me the latest version of it. It's this it's it's the it's this trippy hallucinatory version of Weekend at Bernie's that Mm. that was really a fun, cool watch. Uh, It has has a Yacht Rock soundtrack. It's very cool. Very creative. Uh, he sent that to me. We've been chatting. You can follow him on Twitter at Bernie's underscore weekend and weekend is, is spelled like the musician without that last E Bernie's underscore weekend. Uh, and he's going to do a Twitch stream. He's, he keeps retooling this edit. Uh, he's going to do a Twitch stream of the latest version uh, mm. in late May. So follow him on Twitter and get on that Twitch stream. He's a really cool video editor and artist. Uh, and last but not least, this will get us into our uh, next segment. A big thank you to Julie Klausner and Tom Sharpling, the hosts of Double Threat, uh, mm. right here on the Forever Dog Podcast Network, uh, who devoted the uh, the most recent uh, their most recent episode, the latest edition of their classic segment, Podcast Rescue, uh, to us, to Weekend at Bergman's. They really? Did, yes. I don't know. You haven't heard this yet. I don't. I guess uh, I, I I know about this, but I haven't listened to the episode yet. Yes, and you're being very nice because I specifically told you. I know you listen to Double yeah. Threat every week. I specifically yeah. told you don't listen to the episode. I want to cover yeah. this. I want you to hear these yeah. these tips live on right. the air. You texted me on Sunday and said, "Do not listen to Double Threat tomorrow. I'm going to read it to you live on air." And I am ready, and I bet that I'm ready to take uh, the advice from advice from the best, advice, right. advice from the masters. Because podcast, they are the masters, and podcast rescue, uh, very similar to bar rescue, is where they come in. They find a podcast that is is you know the equivalent of these 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 beat down like broke bars on bar rescue. Like weekend at Bergman's, exactly the the, the podcast equivalent of of just like, you know a, a bar that has like like legacy debt. It has debt uh, from like two generations oh, ago. They're yeah. trying to pay off. Man. Uh, the food's cold. There's no, the the, the drinks take too long. The best. 
Uh, what's his name on Bar Rescue? John Taffer uh, comes in and then turns it into some like it looks like a, he turns everything into like an airport bar. He's, yeah. he's a total he's a total asshole mm-hmm. and, his, and his aesthetic sucks. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, Tom and Julie do not suck and their aesthetic no. is great. Uh, and they took some time in their last episode to give us some tips on how we can improve our podcast. Oh, that was really nice of them. Very helpful. So let me run through some of these tips uh, with you yeah, here. I'd love to hear uh, some. Number one, they said mention the costumes. All right. Great. Note taken. Well, folks, shall we? Just or yeah, do you Joe, want to tell just, yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. Every week, you can watch the YouTube video of this podcast where Brett and I will be wearing costumes that are like the movies we're watching. I'll always be dressing as the popcorn flick. Now you can see him in my TSA best for She's Out of My League. And you can see Brett looking dapper over there as the uh, in his in the mood for love get up, which he's looking fine. That's right. And where can you get those videos? Not on YouTube, actually. Oh, okay. Foreverdog.plus is where you can get those videos. Uh, right on. Of course. We use too much copyrighted content to uh, get it up on YouTube. <laughs> uh, so you can get it behind the paywall exclusively at foreverdog.plus. Foreverdog.plus. That's beautiful, though. It's only yeah. five bucks. And you get all the double thread videos. Sorry, I just have to for a moment. Plus, you get all the Please. amazing Forever Dog shows. Ad free, ad free. And you ever listen to your favorite Forever Dog show, Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood? You're listening to the podcast of the ride. You're like, I these, ads, these ads, these ads. No problem, folks. Just go ahead to foreverdog.plus. You get your Forever Dog Plus $5 a month. Ad-free, video episodes of Double Threat, video episodes of Weekend at Bergman's, more mm. stuff coming. Uh, next thing they said is, uh, this is an easy fix. Uh, th- there's too many loose wires in the shot. Their frame wasn't tight enough. How are we doing? Uh, I'm using the uh, the replica of Angkor Wat that I have here to cover some of the wires. Now it looks a little more intentional. Um, I think these are great frames. Good note. Good note. Work in progress. We're getting better and we'll continue to get better. Thank you, Tom and Julie. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, they are the masters, but uh, I like a little behind the scenes. I like a little, you know, how the sausage is made. Uh, So I kind of like the wires in the shot. The laptops in the shot. Maybe your hand comes into my shot occasionally. It's it's okay. You're in the room with us. You're in the room. I'm not I'm going to just take the note full bore because I feel like there's going to be some personal attacks coming soon that I'll have to defend myself. So right now I'm in the I'm in the. Yeah, that's great. A hundred percent. We'll get the wires figured out. Part of this. Uh, that's bit. a great point. Yeah. We'll always always do the one. Do the do, do the, the suggestion. It's easy. Yeah. No, Tom's right. Like we talk about it at work all the time. We have to get the wires all cleaned up. Yeah. Yeah. Next, uh, resolve our personal issues before we record. Impossible. Uh, next, uh, don't cuss as much. Impossible. We are who we are at this point. Try to change me. I mean, that's just rude. I wish. That sounds good. You think I, I mean, I wish I could try, but it's just whatever. Like, get in my head about it. Nobody wants that. Let's just rock. Let's roll. And guess what? You like it. You don't like it. I hope you like it. I'm not going to try. I'm not trying to curse. It's just like you develop these speech patterns. It was a long pandemic. Every, you know, just I'm still thinking know. about the previous thing. Sorry. Okay. Uh, do you think our, our issues are unresolvable? No, no, no. They're very resolvable. Okay. You have to talk to a professional to kind of work out your shit and get, I'm not, I'm not a professional therapist. I can't help you get there. I mean, I think you're missing the key point of, of this tip, which is that it, it is our issues. It is not, you seem to, uh, seem, oh, seem I, to be under the impression that, that it, I'm the one with issues. And oh, I'm, Brett, I have issues. I'm just able to list them to you. Okay. You, you know, if I asked you your issues, you'd be like, uh, uh I, I have a lot of work to do. It's like, no, 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 brother. You got to go deep. Even in that scenario, we still have to come together, uh, together across the table and then resolve our issues together. 
I don't I think we can I, resolve I, them in private I, I and, then, and then pretend that we, you know, just look at each other and go, did you resolve no, no, yours? Okay, I, I resolve mine. I can't mine. help you until you help yourself. So you help yourself. And then when you did the work, then I'm ready to meet you, meet you half and half. Um, hey, real quick. And, and this can be off air. Um, I know we're doing a bit here more or less, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little vibe uh, and you can just, you don't have to say anything. You can just nod your head because I know you don't like to admit when you've been hurt. Um, but are you still mad about last week when you texted me that you found out you had high cholesterol and I texted back? That sounds like a YP, not an MP. Okay. I mean, you know, like I told you, I was busy. I was tired. I had been up all night editing, editing this show, by the way. Uh, and of course, you know, it was wrong. I'm sorry. Um, but if I'm being honest, I just, I, I just, I don't, I don't know if it was wrong enough to qualify as a lingering issue between us, you know? Uh, and I say that for your sake, you know, I don't want it to be on your, on your mind all episode, you know, distracting you and, you know, just something to think about. Okay. Uh, the next thing is, uh, don't be eggheads. Don't be eggheads. Well, I mean, we should put that on the goddamn billboard. Ain't that know, the truth? I know. Tom really, I think, hit the nail on the head with this one. Uh, he saw, you know, he said that we were, that he gets it. We don't want to come off as, as you know, uh, as unintelligent. We don't want to come off as kind of cinematically illiterate. Uh, but he said, and I'll quote him on this. He said, always remember uh, that you are Philly trash and that I'm Georgia trash huh. uh, and that we shouldn't forget that. Oh, my. Of course. He, that, honestly, truer words. I mean, is that not a great note or what? Here's the thing I, I, love, couldn't agree more. Thing I love about Tom. Yeah. He knows that I know that that's a compliment and I of love course. it. He knows that I know no, that's, that that's, that's, that's one of the greatest compliments I've ever received. I'm, that Do you know how much relief that note is? Yeah. That's easy peasy lemon squeezy, baby. You want me to be Philly trash? I mean, it, I mean, last time, you know, I think that, you know, I. I hope I'm, I think we're not trying, we're trying to facilitate a nice conversation about movies and we come to them with, uh, with a love of the movies yeah. and, and a deep love of the movies. Um, but yeah, you know, you get caught in that trap. You try to, you try to get in your head a little bit. You want to, you know, you want to impress the blank check guys. You know what I mean? So you, you start talking a little silly, but you're Georgia trash. God bless you. And I'm Philly trash. And, and, and that, and that is just one of the greatest gifts God could ever give us. Thank you so much to Double Threat for uh, taking the time to help fix uh, our podcast, to help rescue our podcast, uh, we will take uh, your notes to heart and we will try, we will endeavor to do better. No wires. Uh, last but not least, before we get into today's movies, uh, listeners, a request for you. If you have the time, uh, can you please leave us a nice little review on Apple Podcasts? Please, please leave us a review. It really means a lot. It helps the podcast. Uh, leave us a nice five-star review. Uh, say you like the show. Uh, say whatever you want. Call me a nasty little piggy. I, it, it truly doesn't matter. Just make sure it's five stars. Uh, and we will next week, we will read, if this is okay with you, Joe, we mm. will read some of our favorite reviews on the show. Are you kidding me? Maybe I would love yours. nothing more. Please. It might be yours. Let them rip. If you call me a nasty little piggy, it will be yours. Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here. We have a brand new Office Hours that just came out of the oven. We've got legendary psych rocker Ty Siegel. And Doug is back from down under. G'day. G'day. And his mommy came with him. Mommy and Gary Lusenhop are here, too. Alicia let me know that she finished the White Album, has thoughts on that. So much more on this legendary episode of Office Hours. 
Find us on your podcast app of choice or watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash office hours live. So who are the animals? Because I don't smell them. <laughs> Let's get, let's get into the, to, to today's movies. Today's movies. Uh, this week on Weekend in Bergman's, we're talking about um, uh, Wong Kar Wai's 2000 art house classic In the Mood for Love and the 2010 rom-com She's Out of My League. Uh, the theme here to state it again is love, longing, and forbidden desire. Uh, and as we do every week on Weekend in Bergman's, we'll debate the merits of these two movies. We'll say which one we like better. The one we like better will go in the canon. The one we like does, uh, didn't like as much will go in the trash canon. And we're not allowed to watch it again for the rest of our lives. Correct. Now, uh, one thing we do here on Weekend in Bergman's is that we are honest with you. We do not lie. That's that is it. the trademark of the show. That's all... We don't blow we do. smoke. No. We don't try to seem a certain way, no. which is why we appreciate Tom's note about Absolute, not trying to no, be eggheads. No. Good note. We are honest. So That's I want to be honest with you about something before we get into these movies, uh, which is that... Um, you didn't watch them. I watched both okay, of them. Right. Uh, I watched both of them this week with fresh eyes, as we do, and I was honest about my impressions of them. I did, though, stack the deck a bit this week. I think that that's yeah. fair to say right off the bat, yes. not to give anything away, but I think all of our listeners understand that. To be honest with you, one of my yes. favorite films of all time is In the Mood for Love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did, however, watch it with fresh eyes, but yep, it's yep, one yep, of my yep. all-time favorite movies, and this week's uh, screening only confirmed that, which we'll, of course, talk about later. Um, and all week, because last week we picked the, and I won't do this, I won't do this, you know what, I won't do this again. I won't do this again. But coming out of last week, we picked Weekend at Bernie's, and we had some critical things to say about the Seventh Seal, which I loved. I loved how critical we were of the Seventh Seal. It felt good. <laughs> but coming into this week, I was like, man, I want, I want like, fuck these mainstream movies, these fucking budget studio movies. And I was like, I was like, Wong Kar Wai, come on out, baby. I, I, and all week, I was like, I cannot wait for just a Wong Kar Wai smackdown of she's out of my league just yeah. just 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 wipe the fucking yeah. floor uh, with it i'm afraid it's coming i was I, yeah. and all week i was just i was just like so excited for this it's it's not going to be pretty um however that does not mean we won't be honest no because no, no, i watched no, no, no. both of the movies i i i you know i if, have a big not the, a little teaser i got a big confession coming wow big confession coming you up didn't later watch the movies. Like a, i didn't watch either of the films uh, to the extent that I could eternal sunshine myself, I did it. I started fresh. I watched them yep, fresh, and I came to the exact conclusion I thought I would. Yep, so let's this, start this with this movie's good. Uh, mm-hmm. She's out of my league, so we can get that piece of shit out of the way. Okay, let's uh, talk about so it. So she's out of my league is yeah. a 2010 American romantic comedy directed by Jim Field Smith and written by yep. Sean Anders and John Morris. Uh, the tagline on the poster is "How can a ten go for a five? The ten being uh, Alice Eve, and the five being a boyish, boyish." Jay Baruchel. Uh, it was filmed in Pittsburgh, also set there, uh, sort of a, 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 a tourist's view of Pittsburgh. Uh, She's Out of My League cost $20 million to make and grossed uh, $49.8 million. So that was internationally. So that movie was a success. Uh, it opened at number three in the domestic box office behind uh, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland <laughs> and Paul Greengrass's Green Zone. Green Zone. That is a that is a snapshot of a moment in time right there <laughs> when the box office was Alice in Wonderland, Green Zone, and she's out of I like Alice in Wonderland made like a billion dollars. It's like behind Avatar is like the biggest grossing movie of all time. There was a, there's a big yeah. gap between and then, one and, and two. Way on down there is she's out of my league. Uh, Joe, please summarize uh, she's out of my league in 60 seconds or less. Let me put 60 seconds on the old time. Timer here. We're starting now. 
she's out of my league is about this guy who's so normal and being saying normal is me being nice. He stinks. He's a loser. It's about this loser who lives in the biggest loser town in the country, Pittsburgh. Just from Philadelphia. And he works at uh, the TSA, which, you know, you know, that, you know, no one likes the TSA. So this guy's got nothing going for him. Anyway, a very beautiful woman played by Alice Eve leaves her phone at the TSA and he makes some cockamamie scheme to like, you know, go return the phone to her at some big event. She's an event planner that she's planning. There he goes, he meets up and this woman for whatever reason, and I do mean whatever reason, seems to have an affinity towards him, an affection towards 20 him. 20 seconds left. They start, uh, they start to see each other, takes them to a Penguins game and she's really into hockey. He's like, you're really into hockey. You gotta go. You gotta they, go. They, ten, they, seconds, they, ten, oh, seconds. Uh, 10 seconds is forever, baby. Forever and ever. They go to the hockey game. They fall in love of sorts. There's there's downs. He has an embarrassing moment. He recovers and you, you, they end up together. Can you believe? Wow. 60 seconds. You pulled it out the last second there. Uh, Pittsburgh. There's not a lot of plot, so I really could extend the, the setup. The confidence is 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 truly inspirational. I was getting worried. I was sweating myself for you. Part of that, of course, <laughs> is this this heavy suit that I'm wearing, trying to recreate the vibe of. But you look really cool. The early '60s. Mm-hmm. Um, Pittsburgh, one of the one of the underrated cities in America. Gorgeous city. Is there an animosity between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh? Yes, but only internally. When it comes to external states, I'll have your back, Pittsburgh. But That's internally, right. you it, know, it, you it, fucking it. stink. Got it. Got yeah, it. Got yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Where do we, and I'm sorry, because I hate self-fulfilling prophecies because we want to be honest, but can we just admit like just garbage fire of a movie, right? I'm not trying to be funny yes. and like hot take for please. the podcast. I just want to see where we're at. One of the worst movies great. I've ever seen. Great, great, great. Okay, good. All right. So, so let's, so um, we'll save the goods for the end because we're just mm-hmm. going to have to come up with fine something, right? No, I actually, I do have two goods. Okay, good. I also have two goods. I really had to stretch for it though. So let's start with the bads. Uh, let's get at this movie. Um, what What is bad about this bad movie? I'll start with um, the plot. The entire movie, I was waiting for the turn. Yeah. And I thought for an hour of the movie that she was going to be a spy. Yeah. And it's not because she's so beautiful and he's so ugly. It's because he doesn't do anything that would warrant any sort of sexual attraction the entire film. Uh, At one point, a woman leaves a sweater on the back of a chair at a restaurant and Jay Baruchel quickly runs the sweater out to her. And that's it. That's, and that yeah. was the only thing that he did that sort of inspired her like totally wow, normal. This, this normal guy act. really is. Yeah. Yeah. Completely and totally normal. It's not a really nice thing to do. It's it just, just like, it's he's just like completely conscious. and totally. It's, it means yeah. he's awake. Yeah, that's it. He doesn't do anything right. He has horrendous friends with who are not nice to him and that he doesn't really like. He doesn't like his job. He and it's not about like the job he has or the way he looks. It's just it's about the it's about his general attitude. There isn't like a something compelling about him, and not because of all the things they set up. I you know Jay Baruchel, R.I.P. Just you know there Still was alive. there's a reason that he sort of had his moment, and that moment sort of turned into just you know all the How to Train Your Dragon movies. It's just that he just didn't enjoy those vacations. And you know we love Jay. He just didn't have it, and he doesn't have it in this film, and he's not. It's a terribly written movie. It is yeah. a absolutely horrendously written movie. Anyway, but back to the plot. The plot's the bad thing yeah. because there's nothing that moves the plot except there is one moment that the plot sort of revolves around. That's sort of the crescendoing moment where everything seems good, but then like the really bad thing happens, and they like break up. You know, that yes. part of a movie. That moment in this film is one of the most. Uh, 
stupidly chosen and shockingly executed moments yeah. in, in rom-com history. Agree. We'll watch that in a little uh, bit. Okay. Um, can we go back and unpack? There's a lot you said there I want yeah. to unpack. So um, first of all, the plot, agree. And because we're being honest, because we're being fair with every movie we watch, I was like, as we got into this movie, I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to judge this by genre standards, by like rom-com genre standards, right? I'm not, Go I'm not going to, you know, just, I'm going to start there. It's not about rom-coms. I, there's so many great rom-coms yes. that are A-plus movies. Oh no, of course. That's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, doesn't I'm like, you. I'm you know, agreeing with you. Yes, I'm just saying the like, structure of a rom-com. This is one of the worst movies and one of the worst rom-coms I've ever seen. It is one of the, yeah, I mean, you can just say one of the worst rom-coms ever because that, that almost is the whole story right there is that every beat of a rom-com, meet cute, yes. fall in love, uh, Problems in the relationship, climactic problem in the relationship, how they come back from it. All of these archetypal parts of a rom-com, this movie fails miserably yeah, at. It's uh, so And I unfunny. think it all comes down to the fact that the movie is, and this is what I, I was kind of referencing this last week. Uh, the movie is, it seems to me that the, the, the writer of this movie, the creators of this movie, uh, they just want to make a movie. It, it's a fantasy movie, first of all. It's like, what if, what if Alice Eve liked us? Like, what, what if Alice Eve uh, wanted to sleep with us? What, is, what if Alice Eve loved us, right? This is, it, it's, it's a fantasy movie with that premise. Mm -hmm. But they can't crack the code of, like, what that would, like, what they would have to, like, what would have, what would they have to have or be? Or what would, what would they need to do? Or what would she need to be like? What would have to happen for chemistry to, to exist? Yeah. Because as, as, you know, and there's obsessed this movie is with its premise, like, like it's totally believable these two people could fall in love 100 percent. you need to give them chemistry there needs to be something that causes them to fall of in love course. but they can't they don't know that or they can't figure out what that chemistry would be so their solution i think the solution and this is one of the major crimes of the movie their solution to having how is alice eve going to fall in love with our schlubby little protagonist who's a five apparently whatever yeah. um is to just make her completely absent of character and personality. That's, and why, like, I that's why I thought she, she was a spy. No, yeah, no, exactly. Because she was yeah. smiling and nodding yes. along with like just like these bizarre like choices being yes. made by Jay Baruchel's character constantly in the yes. film. I thought, oh, she's like she is trying to like something with the TSA. Like she's trying to like blow up the airport or something. Yep. And she's trying to get some that good information. Great. I kept waiting for it because I was like, yeah. there is zero reason and not the reasons they established for this woman to pursue this man. And I don't mean because not because he works at rankings or the job, not because he looks like Jay Baruchel, because like that. he isn't. They have nothing doing anything he, nice to, with her or for her or to her. He is not ready to be in a relationship. Talk about needing to work on yourself. My second dislike is this: realizing that 2010 was 100 years ago. Yeah, it's happening a couple times recently where you watch something from a few years ago and you go, "Oh my god." Is that what it was really like? And that was yep. this movie had that in spades. Yes. Everything from remember when people when men used to wear two t-shirts as a look? I remember I used to go to like a middle school dance. I got two yeah. t-shirts, you know? There's yeah, that. that little pop of color underneath. <laughs> Except no one ever like I thought my you never coordinate them. It's I always thought, just like blue and gray. I thought about costuming it two t-shirts, but then I just thought it wasn't uh, uh I love this. I love Thank this. you very much. Effort but, is, um, is acknowledged. It's just so shocking how homophobic and stupid these jokes were, how sexist it was. I mean, the whole thing about ten and five, that's lame and dumb, but there are some really ugly comments. I dig in into here. The, the word skank, the word slut, the, some of these words that like I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Ten, 10 years ago, folks, right. that's all it is. Right. And, and and of course, I mean, you know, uh, in many ways, the culture is is still a, a misogynistic hellscape now more than ever. But 
you know, that's we're not we're not here to talk about Brett Kavanaugh or or Clarence Thomas or the the right wing theocratic think tanks that got them on the Supreme Court. We're we're here to talk about mainstream movies, and it, and it is jarring when you watch this movie. I agree with you, and you remember that just ten years just ten years ago, mainstream movies could have this level of. Uh, uh, casual contempt uh, for women, for gay people, uh, and, and double their money at the box office. Let's not forget. I mean, what Obama didn't, you know, accept gay marriage until halfway through his fucking second first term. Like shit was dark. Yeah, and this movie is emblematic of the dark. I want to dig into the nature of the homophobia though, because it is it, it is pure twenty ten homophobia. Yep, just where guys, it is right. so it is it is. Uh, it's so pathetic yeah. than the, the, the like 2010 homophobia because they there's there's like uh, like enough has happened in the culture where they know they can't just like call each other gay right as an insult. So it's, it's not mm-hmm. this sort of like mm-hmm. 80s mm-hmm. like frat homophobia. It is a homophobia where like they know that there's some things they can't say right or there's some ways they can't say it, um, but they still want to make being gay a joke they still want it to be funny mm. in the context of the movie and they still want to use it as like uh, uh an insult uh use it as currency between straight guys and you know you know as, as an insult um but they but they don't know how to do it now because all of their favorite all of the the greatest hits are are, yeah. are, are off the table <laughs> and so there's a scene where they just um Jay Baruchel and his main rival in love, this very handsome, I think that was Casper Van Diem, wasn't it? Who was that? Um, hold on one second. Was it a Kyle Bornheimer? Uh, no, he's, oh, we got Jeff, to, Jeff, we got, it was Jeff Stoltz. We got to talk about Kyle Bornheimer, though. Um, oh, Jeff Stoltz looks like a Casper Van Diem. Very uh, handsome guy. Absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. He, yeah. So, J, so Jay Baruchel and, and, um, and that character... Uh, are are always going back and forth. They're contending for Alice Eve. Um, and there's one scene where they just like they just sort of like mistake each other for being gay. Uh, like he's like, "Oh, I thought you were gay," and then yeah. later on, Jay Burrus was like, "I thought you were gay." Yeah. And it's like, guys, what are we what are we, not, what are not, we doing not, here? Yeah. It, it's Those, almost like the, that's the quality of joke in this film. There are no. It is just really it's language without meaning. It's it is so truly aimless. It's just the most aimless homophobia of like. It's like it's like a, a like a homophobic person out in the desert. It's like, and it's they like, don't it's know. It's the memory of homophobia. It, it is. Yes, it's the last vestige yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. And it's just these 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 fucking like ventriloquist dummies <laughs> reciting a thing that they forgot the yeah, source of. Yeah. But they know it in their hearts. Yes. They just can't vo- exactly. mouth it anymore. The, the yeah. instinct is yeah, still yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. They, they wish, want gay to yes. be funny. They want gay to be mean. If gay was yeah. funny, everyone in this movie would be so relieved. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, T.J. Miller would have. T.J. Miller would have ate that shit up. He would have been the fucking T.J. Miller would be riding to work in a yeah, he'd be riding to the studio on a convertible singing I Love L.A., yeah, yeah, knowing yeah, that he gets yeah, to say all, all yeah, the old, you know, he gets to trot out all the old classics. There's uh, so bad, folks. Such an ugly little film. Um, and so bad. Ugly little film. No, not a single joke lands. None of the homophobic jokes land, obviously, but none of the other jokes land either. And I guarantee you. The homophobia you, isn't even structured no, as jokes. No, 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 no. The, but despite, like, it being, oh, 2010, things were crazy. Like, no one was laughing at this film in 2010. It stunk then, too. I just think that, like, in a good double, movie, double you could try money, to do... Double its money at the box office. Wow. I mean, we'll talk about, like, Baruchel's moment yeah. um, in this culture, but uh, I think we'll save that for later. I'd love to hear what you didn't like about this film. Great. Let's... Um, I mean, all the things that you mentioned, um, it's sexist. The, the way... I mean, like, the way sex is depicted in this movie. I mean, talk about... Not only do they not have... Um, not only do they not have... 
Like, I get that the directors didn't know how to write chemistry for Alice Eve and Jay Baruchel, um, minus just having Alice Eve be a nothing character, yep, just right? Just a sort of blank nod. slate. Yeah, yeah. really miserable. Uh, even though she's this, like, uh, successful, vibrant person who has all this stuff going for her and, like, clearly has done a lot in life, uh, still always just this passive blank slate upon which Jay Baruchel paints his 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 fucking sad sack you know, we're not laying it on thick. We're not like being saviors or heroes. This movie is so dumb and bad. Like no, it is no, one no. of the worst films. I am. I am not virtue signaling right now. No, I'm having a fucking Christ. party. No, I am. No, I, this is, I'm is, waiting no, all week. Horrendous. All week. Uh, what? All right. Here's what I want to say. Um, let's. I mean, uh, let's see. Let's start with the way. All right. I want to watch two scenes. I want to watch right, Alice yeah, Eve's. And I want the people. Alice Eve's entrance. Alice Eve's entrance. Uh, and, uh, Brian, this is about seven minutes in seven minutes into she's out of my league. All right. So Alice Eve is pulling up. We don't know who it is yet. Cause they're going to do a classic, yeah, 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 yeah. like show the heels, show the cleavage. So brutal. Ugh, it is awful. Uh, she's pulling up to the airport in a taxi. And this is where all Jay Baruchel and all his friends work at the airport. TSA baggage, et cetera, et cetera. As she's, she's just, she's just entering the airport. Just gratuitous shot of disembodied cleavage. Uh, every uh, she's got those uh, heels with red soles. heels. The Cardi B specials, um, and guys are like these guys can't help themselves. Guys are just uh, they're, they're like breaking down as humans. Uh, little boy, oh, very 2010 teenager there. She looks fine. She's. Very attractive. She's a beautiful woman. She's just wearing a normal outfit to the airport. All right, now she's going to uh, walk up. Uh, TJ Miller is doing the IDs. Jay Baruchel comes in late. Uh, Andy Daly. Leave Daly alone. Sometimes you just got to fucking work. Take that paycheck, Daly. We know who you are. We know what you can do. We adore you. Interesting. This is a tough road. This is tough to watch, though. Andy Daly is no, it's a, it's this a, shame. Is a disaster a having to watch him do this. It's a, it's a shame. Part. Okay, so she kind of like, she sees him. She's on the phone, though. And, so and Jay Baruchel's response is a little different than the other guys. He's not doing the, like, Looney Tunes, eyeballs pat out. He's doing the the twinkle sound effect. The, the lens softens. Thank you, Mr. Freeman. Which means he's different. He's different than the other guys. Have a nice flight. Uh, this scene sucks, man. This movie's the worst. All right, now she comes Worry up to give TJ Miller her ID. Uh, he sees her, and he hi. loses hi. his hey, mind. Uh, Hilo. Hello. Can't talk. New York, huh? Hilo. Yeah, the big city. Big Apple. Big Apple City. Jesus. That's, that's the kind of that, that, that's actually, the joke quality you're getting into. I gig up there. I'm playing a band. I'm the lead in a band. Dana. The, uh, this other guy comes over. He is. He can't. He's not even Jesus. blinking. Can you like imagine. He's not even right. blinking. He's like physically inert. What a nightmare. She's like, you know, it's 2010, so she's like smiling. Like, what is this funny banter between these two oddballs? Thank you. <laughs> All right, we can stop the clip there. I can't stand any more of this. Um, so yeah, so Alice Eve enters the airport, and all of the guys. And again, if you want to watch along with us, foreverdog.plus. Not do it. Um, but like every uh, guy, and also just guys, by the way. Uh, every guy, it, it, like, is physically like broken. They like they mm. like they can't they can't they stare. Mm. They like they. I mean, and not even because uh, of course, like, look. I mean, like, I'm not saying that like 
that like men in public are always polite. No, it's just like, no, <laughs> but like it's a it, stupid it so cliche setup. It's so cartoonish for yeah. for this woman who has to cat put the film on her back and yes. like provide all the reasons for this relationship happening. So she gets yes. the cartoonish entrance and it's just so like ugly and grotesque in 2010 maybe it was fine in the looney tunes or something but this is absurd and just like bizarre and it's just it's so, so egregious. and that's the attitude essentially every character has towards her the entire time um and look look alice eve was condemned to these fucking roles i'm in, not blaming like, alice eve like, no no of course oh, not. Yeah, i'm no. saying like this is a bigger thing like where, where she um because she comes from an acting family in England. Her dad's an actor. Her dad was in like uh, a bunch of those old like cop shows in England, mm-hmm. in the kind of 70s and 80s. He's actually, he plays her dad in this movie. That's her real dad. Cool. Um, and her mom's an actress as well. Um, and uh, it's a fun little Easter egg for the, for the fun little Easter egg there. Cop shows I'm from sorry, I don't have, yeah, sorry I don't have more in, info than that. That's all right. Uh, but look it up. Look it up. Um, but I remember a movie that's better than this movie, uh, not, maybe not a great movie, but uh, called Starter for Ten, which was a British movie. Uh, James McAvoy is like a, uh, he does like uh, college quizzes and Alice Eve is on his team. Um, but that, that's, that's, that was seemingly sort of like an sort of indie movie with a little bit of a brain. And they introduce Alice Eve the same way in that movie. You're he, kidding. When James McAvoy sees her, he can't control himself. It's a popular his, his trophy jaw is move. On the floor. It's a trophy move. In this movie, it's done particularly. And uh, then, of course, uh, do you stupidly. remember the uh, the whole Star Trek controversy that Damon Lindelof eventually copped to, where uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, where there's this very gratuitous scene, in Star Trek Into Darkness, where where Alice Eve is just in her underwear. Of course, for no reason. There's no plot point. She's not uh, about to have sex. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, not, you got to uh, put butts in seats. Not, yeah, she is just uh, gratuitously in her underwear, and he later got called out on it. Of like, yeah, really, you know, uh, you're Damon Lindelof. We want to take you seriously. What are you doing here? And he was like, "There was no reason for that. I'm sorry." Justice for Alice Eve. And let's see them uh, about to have sex for the first time. This is uh, it, it takes us all the way to an hour and sixteen minutes. Uh, hour and sixteen and five seconds. Uh, so up until this point, uh, they have kissed. Uh, they kissed in the car on their first date. Um, uh, it was very awkward, very brief. Uh, later on, an, on another date, uh, this is an early sort of early, like a sort of uh, um, you know end of Act One climax. Uh, she uh, mounts him on the couch in her apartment, uh, and then he comes in his pants, and then her parents show up. Yeah, this is the scene I was talking about. And then he runs away. Uh, We could also watch that scene. Uh, But this is when they try to have, they're finally going to have sex. They've they've seen T.J. Miller's Hall Notes cover band. Uh, They're in the mood. They've been dating for a while. They're finally going to have sex. All right, so let's, uh, let's watch what happens here. Kissing. All right, now they back away from each other apprehensively start taking their clothes off yes. as if like some you know as if she literally know, just said your turn something now, horrible is gonna happen yeah now Jay Bear shells taking his shirt off Alice Eve is just watching him he's very Look nervous how sad and horrified he looks She's very nervous wouldn't they haven't really been hitting the gym as much as I should lately uh, it's okay Jesus it's okay all right Alice Eve takes off her clothes she's in her underwear now they're both still standing just opposite each other this, this is, isn't even the male gaze. I don't know what this is. This is like the, <laughs> this is like, this oh, is like the, so this is like painful. the AI gaze. Are they this supposed like to like the, get aroused after this? I don't know why to, like, they're doing it like this. I want it to stop. Yeah. Why? So they both. Okay. Ah. Now they now they just meet in the middle and start kissing. I hate again. when people kiss in movies. They sit on the bed. 
ew, 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 ew. I hate right, she's, got, she's about to uh, ew, grab his, grab his D. What are we watching here? Interesting. What? She says, interesting. She grabs his cock. Oh, because he had uh, he had groomed himself. He's not. He's shaving. Oh, okay. Right. So she. Uh, are you sure? Um, By now. But why would she say interesting? I mean. Oh, because they, they, they like frame shaving your balls as like right. You know, uh, modern. Yes, oh, as indulgent. Balls are shaved. And now they're talking about it. They've stopped. Oh, I shouldn't have They've shaved stopped. my balls. Why did I shave my balls? Cares, man. The only reason he shaved his balls is because there's a character in this movie whose sole characteristic is that he shaves his balls. It's the only thing we know about him. He's a major character. Yeah. We only know that he's handsome and he shaves his balls. Okay, now they're... I don't even know what happened. He's going on. Yes. Don't pet her. He just petted her hair. They're sitting on the edge of the bed now like like uh, middle schoolers at a sleepover. Just fucking leave, man. He, oh, oh, she mentioned that she has a, a a blemish of some kind. He's looking around for it, and it turns out she has a webbed toe. Dude, this is like this is like the climax of That's the it? film. Like we've been waiting the entire That's movie. I, you know how I thought she was a spy? Yeah. It turns out the weird thing the whole time was that she has webbed feet. I thought she was species. You know that movie Species, where the alien? Yeah, I thought she was. I thought it was a species. That would be awesome. Uh, I love your suggestion that she is uh, hijacks an airplane because that would bring in the air. The air that's, that's, what, that's what I thought was. That's a brilliant happen. idea. Thank you, man. We'll remake it. <laughs> do a do a Lars von Trier shot for shot remake, except you change the change Act Three. All right. Um, Thanks, Brian. So, Brian, thank you, thank you, merciful Brian, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Good God, Brett. Honestly, I can't watch the God. come in your pants scene. Watch at your own risk. Okay, can we just talk about it for a second yes. though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, the first time they're getting physical, uh, she like crawls up on his leg, and they start making out, and then her parents walk into the house, and they yeah. go, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. but he can't stand up because, excuse me, everybody, he has came into his pants. There's a cum stain on his pants. And, that is putting it so kindly. There's yeah. an insert shot where I'm pretty sure they like they like chunked it up or something. It's they, bizarre. There's like a spot and then they do an insert and it's like a just like a chunk. It's just a chunky. Joe, the weird I didn't know I actually did not know what he did. And luckily my wife was watching with me and she was like, he came in his pants. And I was like, are you sure? Or did she like, you know, <laughs> have a miscarriage? No, no, no. Like, no, I was it like looks, so it looks like afterbirth. It it is truly like nobody who made this movie knows anything about anything. I don't okay. understand what hold on. What's her, happening. Her parents walk in. He yeah. goes blah, 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 and he yeah. like gets a pillow, puts it over his pants. I'm so sorry, I've never met you, but I have to go go go. go. Yeah, and yeah. he runs, and she's like all flustered. Poof. Anyway, he can't shake the dad's hand. Oh, and the dad loves to shake hands. They, oh, they the, threw yeah, that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when they mentioned that, I was like, why are they mentioning this handshaking thing? And I was like, and oh, because Jay's hand hands. is going to be covered. And he in, loves to look cum. at your pants, yeah. right, like above your legs and between your waist. He always stares at the pants. So he comes in. She runs out. He's sad for a scene he just okay and i'm like oh man here comes some major twist some major problem some major de plot development that's really disgusting and embarrassing i didn't know what the fuck happened on the leg okay kind of his pants i guess that's super embarrassing of course of course at the next scene he just goes up to her and he's like you know what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna be honest and he, which you know okay goes up to her and just says hey you know and she's like what what are you and she turns away like what 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 and he's like this is how he wins her back he goes look the other night when I was over your house and you were on top of me before your parents came in, I came in my pants. Yeah. Okay. I came and, and her face like lightens up and she's like, what, really? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I just came like all over myself and I was just so embarrassed. Okay. So can we just like put this to the side and just move on? And you know what she says? She says, 
Oh, what a relief. Yeah. Yes. And then they make out. Yes. And then the movie yeah. just keeps no, no, going. No. One really quick. They don't make out. They like politely kiss and then and then walk away from each other and they don't talk about it. But we know that they have now this this is the movie saying they have they have reconciled. They have reconciled. It is it, this is a bizarre movie. It's so bizarre movie. It is it has so many familiar, you know, sort of like familiar kind of frat movie sex comedy beats but the way they're executed is is truly bizarre and not reminiscent of any kind of human experience of no. these things uh i also i'm glad you said that i also i literally did not realize he had come in his pants i did not realize that was what was being sold the, to well, us i would re- i would sit uh, here right now and be like wait what because luckily sarah was in the room because yes. i had no, no, no idea what the, the hell happened the again we like i won't we won't belabor this but the no. the, the, the depiction of come on his pants was not reminiscent of come it was it was reminiscent it was, of soup yes uh and bear shell god bless him does not sell the orgasm so he is yeah. he you know, like, I'm not here to, you know, J- this isn't Jay's best work. I don't know what his best work is, yeah. but Jay, uh, you know, he doesn't do it. I have a question for you. Yes. Do you think we could draw a graph of like, like Jay's popularity is directly tied to the popularity of the NHL, right? Like, I feel like he was, like, his thing was hockey. Yes. That's the only thing he had. And well, now Goon is his passion Now project. hockey Goon stock. Goon is his big passion But in project. every movie, he has yeah. to do hockey. This is like how right. Rogan or right. Seth Rogan and right. co are, like, branding him. He's like, he's like the Canadian, the hockey guy. They yeah. take him to a Pittsburgh Penguins game, and she, like, and they, like, do a bunch of hockey stuff. And I feel like his whole entire, like, thing for that five-year moment was Jay hockey right and now i feel like no one's really watching the nhl and we don't really see a lot of jay baruchel anymore well god and bless i, I hope he's taking to, that i hope he's taking that how do you train your dragon money I, and i, I hope I he got box him, seats at every damn the best. Uh, that's all i'm saying Maple and i hope game. the nhl comes roaring back to popularity yeah. so we can see sorcerer's apprentice too <sighs> jay this movie's not your fault but but uh, no it's not your fault but you certainly don't help uh, but you don't help you, you don't, really you don't, really don't help. So, it's so unfunny man i guess you're just working with what you got but this is a terrible movie T.J. Miller's terrible in this film. I wrote here, uh, 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 T.J. Miller really hates women in this movie. Yes. And so does his character. <laughs> well, well, well. Um, so that's a burn. And then I guess, you know, just to kind of put a pin in it with like leave a little, just say, can I say something good about the film? Yeah, let's get to the good. Let's get to the good. I just think before we, but we get it. This movie stinks. We, don't, and don't. Look, we haven't even exhausted all no, 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 that. No, no, no. I'm actually like, sad I didn't get to all my hilarious bits but they do that movie, thing where, they do that yet. thing where like like friend groups have like hyper specific terminology that no friend group would ever have uh like in the very beginning they say like hey, they, they say to jay baruchel you're, you know why you can't get the girl you're a moodle you're a moodle and it's a man poodle and then they have this whole philosophy about being a man poodle and why that's bad it's like a there's so many it's stupid like a little sci-fi fantasy movie with all this terminology i gotta keep track it's so of. stupid and the whole we didn't even get to the 10 and a 5 and you, you can't oh, the go numbering you system. can't go more than two up or down on your thing and one time tj miller dated a nine and the what's whole started that you know how like after pulp fiction all those uh uh sort of actiony comedies were trying to match that tarantino dialogue what, what was the origin point of this like of like of like a deep dive into i mean you know i think i you know what I, we watched recently at home was when harry met sally yeah. and i wonder if that is the origin point mm-hmm. in rom-com world of this like sort of gamified conversations mm-hmm. where there's like where there's sort of a hyper, it's almost like, it's almost like, you know, in rom-com movies, it's, it's almost like they're always playing like D and D or something where there's this, like they get hyper specific into like rules and logistics yeah, totally, of, of sex and relationships. Yes. And this, you know, and they have terminology Stainer for it. knows all the rules. One, Stainer knows all the rules. The reason that she character. ultimately, Alice Eve ultimately comes back to Jay Baruchel, even after the coming in the pants incident, uh, it was the How kiss. How did she get over it? They, 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 they fell off again. But then TJ Miller tells her, 
do you know what Jay Baruchel did for me in high school? And she's like, no, what? Oh, yeah. And he goes, you know how my name's Stainer? And she's like, yeah. He goes, well, you know, everyone used to make fun of me because I like pissed my pants a lot and they all called me Stainer. And you know what Jay Baruchel told me? He said, you know what? Embrace it. You are Stainer. And that changed my life for the good. And, and then she goes, wow, that's amazing. And then she runs through an airport and she bursts onto a plane and stops the whole plane to get him off the plane so they can fall in love. And the reason is because Jay Baruchel essentially tricked did a funny trick where for the rest of his life, his best friend goes by the name Stainer because he pissed his pants yes. a lot in, yes. when he was growing up. Yeah. That's the kind of movie we're dealing with, folks. So I want to give you a good before I. What's, before good, what's good about She's Out of My League? What's uh, good? The got, question on everybody's mind. Two words. Kristen Ritter. Yeah. Kristen Ritter is has a terrible character with a bunch of unfunny jokes. And you know what she does? She perseveres through the film and she comes out on the other side. Charming and lovely as ever. I don't know how she did it. I have to give her all the credit in the world. For whatever reason, Kristen Ritter survives this film, and that is my my opinion and my good of she's and beyond, out of my beyond Kristen Ritter, one of my goods also was just uh, good good uh, comedy character actors in this movie uh, doing their best. Uh, Jessica St. Clair is very funny. That's his brother's wife. Uh, uh, she's again dialogue not funny, premise of the character not funny. Jessica St. Clair very funny in, sure. in, in how she's doing it. Uh, Andy Daly, like we saw there, God bless. Uh, he, he's really given a Deborah stinker. Deborah Joe Rupp, though. Um, yeah, from great. that 70s show. Yeah, there's a lot, yeah. uh, and we mentioned him earlier, uh, uh, Kyle Bornheimer. We all know, if you don't know the name Kyle Bornheimer, look him up. You know that face, baby. That's a household face. Speaking of, listen to Household Faces on Forever Dog Podcast Network. Character actors interviewing character actors. Uh, but Kyle Bornheimer, you know that face? He was the, uh, let's see, what in... Uh, uh, Breaking Bad, he was like in early in season one, he was that uh, jerky guy in the Mercedes and Walter White like blew up his car at a gas station because the guy cut in line at a bank in front of him. Yeah. Uh, uh, but but Kyle Bornheimer is in this movie doing his Kyle Bornheimer shtick. Yeah. Um, he's a little more like daft than usual. He's always yeah. he always plays an asshole, always plays an asshole. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's sort of a like silly sort of know nothing asshole yeah. in this in this one. Uh, and God bless. I just I was watching this and I was like. That's a guy I want to. I would love to take. I, I, I would love to take Kyle Bornheim out to lunch and just be like, "What? Yeah. Who? Who are you? What's going on in there? Like, what is? I bet you could. Yeah, you like, just are you, shoot him an email if you're buying. Maybe I'll buy Kyle. I just want to know what's going on inside that head. I want to know uh, if if you feel like you've been typecast. Um, if you're okay with the character, like if you're okay with being typecast. If you like this uh, niche you developed for yourself. Uh, yeah. If you're looking to take on more challenges, I just want to know what is going well, it on. Sounds like you just listened to this episode of Household Kyle Faces. Bornheimer. Kyle Bornheimer, come on, Household Faces uh, with John Ross Bowie, because uh, I, I, I want to get a deep dive into that mind. Uh, so I liked seeing uh, Kyle Bornheimer pop up. Yeah, in this all movie. those people are great, and they all survive. And this movie's still not worth watching for any of their anybody's anything. It's just like just there's lots of great things to see. All those people, and this ain't it. Speaking of uh, uh, surviving. Um, uh, another thing I liked is that uh, both the main characters, Jay Baruchel and Alice Eve, die at the end of this movie. That was one of my uh, one of the good things that I liked. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're saying um, uh, they didn't die, uh, they rode off into the sunset. Allow me to present uh, some facts about why I think uh, both those characters die at the end of this movie. Uh, so the whole movie, um, uh, Jay Baruchel's like the one, like the like the one thing they can come up with 
to do their callbacks and to do this to add some structure to the relationship and to the movie is that Jay Baruchel works in an airport. Oh, but he wants to be a pilot. Is he uh, doing anything to achieve right. his his grandiose dream of flying a plane uh-huh. with, for which there are clear steps for accomplishing that goal? No, he's not even taking the first step. He just he just stands at the at the floor to ceiling windows of the airport and says, man, I'd love to be in the cockpit of one of those things. That'll never happen. That's it. That's his big dream is to be a pilot. At the very end of the movie, he takes Alice Eve to the airfield, to the airport. They walk out onto the tarmac, and he has a little biplane there, a small little airplane. She says, that's not a normal plane. And he says, and he says, I don't know, he says something. But then they climb in. You're like, oh, my God. He gets in the pilot seat of this, of this airplane, right? And, then he, and you're like, oh, he learned to be a pilot, right? He figured he went to pilot school. This must be years in the future that we're seeing this. And he turned to Alice Eve, and he goes, yeah, I've been taking a couple lessons. And then they pull mm-hmm. down the shield of the biplane, and they fly off. Yeah. There is everything we know about that character, yeah. everything we've learned about this character. Uh, just weak-willed, a yes. sad sack, can't yes. commit to things, has no, no ambition. Are you telling me that after a couple lessons, a couple flying lessons, that guy is going to successfully fly that biplane from Pittsburgh to Cleveland? That thing crashes into the fucking Susquehanna. Both those characters are dead. There is no other way around it. And to me, I love it. I say that's a great ending to this movie. It adds at least a little bit of something that I can emotionally respond to. Um, just the fact that they're humans and they're dead and that's, you know, that's a sad turn of events and they have families that cared for them. Yeah. Uh, and part of this has been informed by my, have you been watching The Way Down on HBO Max, the documentary The Way Down? No, I have not. It's excellent. You should watch yes. it. It is a, a true horror show, this church in Tennessee, uh, led by Pastor Gwen Shamlin. It's a very culty church. Uh, she's like a weight loss guru and shames you, shames people at her church if they can't lose weight. Uh, there's all sorts of horrible things that go on there on her watch that she is complicit in. Uh, but uh, her, she has a husband that's very sort of like, uh, you know, very mu- like a kind of like, uh, I don't know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, she, uh, like, he's a handsome guy that like, w- like was trying to be an actor in Hollywood and then they met somewhere and she married him. He's like arm candy. He's kind of the arm candy husband. Um, but he's always trying to do things. He's always trying to get his own thing going. Uh, as it turned out, and this is where the story turns tragic. These were horrible people, but still tragic. Um, he was flying her and part of the church, uh, to an event and the, the he crashed the plane, uh, in Tennessee and they all die. Mm. Um, and so I was, I was thinking this is exactly what happens at the end of, uh, she's out of my league is this guy who is sort of trying to impress his significant other, but does not have the resources to do so decides to fly a plane with very little expertise and how to do so. That plane goes down 10 times out of 10. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I, I completely agree. Now that you said that, it kind of makes the whole movie kind of make sense and kind of like it. Ah, shit. Mm, I kind of really like this. Because we haven't now. made our dis- final decision I really yet. like this movie now. We ha- <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about our second one. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see where we All end. All right. Let's get on to the next movie, the Art House movie, In the Mood for Love, which came out in 2000, directed by Wong Kar Wai, uh, starring Tony Leung and Maggie Chung. Um, oh God, this is a this is a depressing line. It was made for 12.9 million and grossed 
12.85 million at the box office. Uh, what is wrong with this world? Uh, it premiered at Cannes. Uh, Leung won Best Actor. The film was nominated for the Palme d'Or, but lost to uh, Lars von Trier's Dancer in the Dark. That's, of course, when Lars von Trier was still allowed to go to Cannes uh, before uh, he uh, had that press conference where he, he said he understood Hitler and said he was a Nazi. Uh, still hasn't been back. That was about 10 years ago. Um, in the Mood for Love is uh, the middle film in an informal trilogy along with Days of Being Wild and 2046. Mm. Uh, and in 2012, Sight and Sound's greatest films of all time, Critics Poll, placed the film 24th, which was the highest ranked film between 1980 and 2012. Uh, and then in 2016, the BBC voted it the second greatest film of the 21st century. Oh, that's great. Uh, behind Mulholland Drive, which I love that pick as the best film of the 21st century. Gutsy pick. Uh, Joe, please summarize In the Mood for Love uh, in 60 seconds or less. Sure. All right, and go. In the Mood for Love is about two people who rent rooms next to each other in 1960s Shanghai, I believe. And uh, one is a man and one is a woman, and both of their significant others are out often or traveling for work, business, or whatever. And they start, you know, seeing each other and canoodling and. You know, they just start kind of hanging out and then they start writing a little script together or something and he, she writes a little bit with him and they start hanging out and everyone sort of notices around the building. They got to keep it hush hush. They're falling in love. Not really, but they're like, they start having an affair, let's say, and they start having an affair and the 20 whole seconds. movie is so absolutely, the whole time, it's just stunning, gorgeous, atmospheric, cool like very beautiful everything is working in conjunction with each other the colors are popping and the music is amazing five seconds anyway they they decide not to stay together because she decides it's too much sauce that's time i actually like that you didn't get too much into the uh ending because we'll get into that um uh as we discuss the movie uh, i think it's best not to this, on this one not to not to get into the ending too much until we've talked about kind of the the earlier parts of the movie and uh one quick correction there the movie takes place in 1962 hong kong not shanghai hong kong uh which at that point was still a british colony uh when the movie was being filmed in the late 90s it was uh it was under uh chinese control um but it's set in in british hong kong um and in fact later in the movie we see footage of cambodia uh when it was still a uh, not a French colony, but but still had a very close administrative relationship with France. Um, so East Asia, Southeast Asia, still uh, uh, very much under the yoke of European imperialism in the era that this movie takes place. Uh, and speaking of geographical mistakes, I I, I have uh, I realized after I said it, uh, I, I said that Jay Baruchel crashes his plane into the Susquehanna at the end of She's Out of My League. Uh, that doesn't make any sense because uh, he he'd be flying. Uh, west, not east, from Pittsburgh to Cleveland, unless he went in the wrong direction, which is totally plausible. But uh, let's say let's give him the benefit of the doubt, say that he at least went in the right direction uh, and then probably crashed into the, uh, I don't know, the the, the Ohio River uh, instead, uh, never to be heard from again. All right. So let's get in. Let's get into In the Mood for Love. Um, the exact opposite experience for me of She's Out of My League, I have I have nothing. Uh, I, I, I struggled to find a flaw in this movie. And again, watching it with fresh eyes, uh, I struggled to find a flaw in it. To me, it is one of the few perfect movies, uh, particularly in the sense of being sort of internally consistent and achieving what it is trying to do and achieving it in the most um, beautiful and nuanced way. Uh, I really struggled to find a flaw with it. Um, 
What about you? What's what's like general impressions before we dig into some specifics? The general impression is just like watching mastery is always just like shocking yeah. and stunning. And when you watch someone who really understands what they're doing in like not understands what they're doing, when someone under like when someone like you just said wants to do something and wants to communicate something and is able via their artistic talents, via their chosen medium and in this one film is able to communicate those things. Uh, so uh, vividly and emotionally and effectively, it really is something stunning to see. And what he hopes to communicate in this film is the liminal moments of life. Yeah. Just the just the just the the, the counting his life in, in coffee spoons sort of a, Ooh, a, a little little vibes here in 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 the mood for love. This movie is about fabric and it's about like oh, I love that. texture. This movie's about love curtains. This movie's about cups. This movie's about uh, 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 the sounds you make when you eat this movie. You can smell this film. Um, so you're singing my you're I, you're singing my tune. I'm dancing on clouds right now. Yeah. Pennies from heaven. Here you, you can, describe this. Uh, so that is why this movie is so effective. It's not like you know this isn't the movie that you're. Well, and that's not true. There are plenty of times this movie where you're sitting on the edge of your seat, and that's what's so absolutely masterful. We'll see. About we'll it. watch some of those scenes Just too. It kind of surprises little, you. Yeah. I mean. But first of all, it has the same exact plot as the the last movie we watched. You know, minus an affair. It's just, this is this guy who's sad sack sees the most beautiful woman in the world and sort of like wishes he could go out with her, but knows he can't. But then they kind of do, and he like kind of messes it up because he's like, "Whoa, this is too much, too good." You know, it's kind of giving sort of similar vibes to "She's Out of My League," but it's 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 it's, it's, it's it, it, this is this is the remake of "She's Out of <laughs> Imagine My League." Imagine that in a review. <laughs> This is just like she's out of my league, but really good. Imagine like you could smell the airport and you could see the TSA line and you could like feel the cum in your pants or whatever. That's the evocative nature of in the mood for love that she's out of my league didn't give me. But truly, honestly, like film, if film like goes, at least we made a couple. Like if it turns that, into if it, if it, it turns into cell if one it turns into cell phones and it turns into yeah. the you know, at least at least somebody bothered to make a couple films for it, real. It is kind of a beginning and end of cinema movie. Yeah. It's a movie that feels like the epitome of the art form. Uh, I agree with your use of the word mastery. That's the word that keeps coming back to mind, yeah. and not it's in absurd. a way because last week we talked about. Um, uh, Bergman's uh, flirtations, we can call them, with the Third Reich, with fascism during World War II, and how, for me, when you have an auteur, that sort of auteur theory of this all-dominant, all-controlling director, uh, that it can it can become a, a sort of fascist position on the movie yeah. set of someone who is obsessed with control right. um, and not uh, necessarily obsessed with the, the the final product, but obsessed with the control of the final product. Um, and you you could see that in the Seventh Seal in the the insistence on all these monologues yeah. and you know Bergman is clearly in love with his dialogue, et cetera, et cetera. Here though, the mastery to me is the is is completely other side of the coin. It is it is it is an, an exquisite an authentic mastery um, that is focused on detail. Uh, there's a, it's almost sort of a, a mastery that has like a humility to it where it sort of lets things sit and lets things speak for themselves. That's the best part. It's, it's a mastery that is so confident in itself that there's no false moves. There's no bravado. Uh, there is no uh, panic that I'm not getting my point across. There, there is none of that. There is just an exquisite mastery, and then he sets it on the table, and 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 you get to watch it, right? Mm. And you get to yeah, draw right. your own conclusions from it. That's right. Um, it is amazing that it came out that way, though, because um, 
the production of the film, uh, it took 15 months to make this movie. Um, and uh, Wong Kar-wai has said that he shot, let me get this quote exactly right because it is truly wild. Uh, he says he, he filmed more than 30 times the length of the movie, that he has footage for 30 in the mood for love oh, like Anchorman. and cut it down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he, yeah. uh, he had him do different takes where he's like, all right, now you know, give her another sideways glance. All right, now let's see another one. Yeah, he said he shot more than 30 times the length of the film. Wow. Uh, it was a sort of long, exhausting shoot. Um, he says by really? the end of it, he was physically exhausted and, and financially exhausted. Uh, they barely made Can that year. Um, they were literally like running the reels to the theater. That's so cool. Um, and so it's, it, it's wild to think of all this franticness and sweating and tension and anxiety that went on in the making of this movie. And then what you see on the screen is just this exquisite jewel that is just perfect in, in, in basically every way. Um, and of course, we can talk about you know, uh, the music, the lighting, yeah. the fashion. There's so much to talk about. I wanted to um, talk about two things that that struck me on this viewing of the movie, two things that struck me on the on this viewing of the movie. And the first thing, uh, this is this has to do with sort of the composition of the movie, the aesthetics of the movie, is the use of of a shallow focus, which he uses a lot, and the use of obstructions, of things kind of in the foreground or on the side of the frame that block your view of of what's in focus or what you're supposed to be looking at. Yeah. Um, in almost every shot, almost every shot is in a shallow focus, meaning that there is only you know, foreground, middle ground, background, only one of those three is in focus and the other two are out of focus. So, you know, you'll, your eye will be drawn to something and then everything else is sort of hazy, is sort of blurred. Um, and then combined with that, so many shots where there is a a wall in the way or a, a kitchen counter or a door or another person's head that is sort of obscuring your view of what you're supposed to be looking at. Um, and actually, if we look at, um, uh, if we can bring up a still frame, uh, the still frames, let's start with number one. I got a couple still frames here. So here we go. Classic uh, scene from the movie. Uh, and you can see um, uh, Maggie Chung is in is in focus in the foreground. And then uh, Tony Leung in the background is out of focus, kind of running towards her. Um, and it's, you know, it creates the sense of this sort of disappearing world uh, of these characters who are in isolation. I think it really brings out kind of the isolation of each character, uh, that everything around them, they are in focus on the on the on the small little uh, part of the film that they occupy, uh, but then everything else uh, around them is is distant and and blurry. Uh, and then let's look at the other still frame. And here you can see the use of obstructions. Uh, that the the action is is all the way in the background. It's Tony, it's Tony Leung uh, and his work partner at their desks, but it's pushed way to the back of the frame. And in the foreground we see these dark, out of focus desks. Um, and, and so again, the sense of Joe, like you said, of, of sort of minutia of life lived, yeah. uh, of, of, of being in the world and yet acknowledging the sort of haziness and instability of the world at the same time, this sort of dream floating around us. Maybe that's why, like, maybe that's, we're picking up on the 30 extra hours of film that they shot for this movie. Yeah. Like the actors have lived in this movie. That's what it yeah. feels like. It feels like fully realized. There's another shot of this office. I don't know if it's later or earlier in the film where it's just um, the main character, the main guy sitting in the, uh, in his office um, alone, like at night, like smoking, working late. Yeah. And, and like in, in one shot, like the entire weight of like life, work, time, night, love all communicated in in a single shot without yeah. dialogue without blocking without movement without 
anything is a perfectly composed film. It is truly masterful, completely and totally patient, and absolutely riveting. Uh, and I love these shots that you pick. They're, they're gorgeous. And let's look, uh, on that note, let's go to 1435 in the movie, 1435. Um, this is the second time this happens. One of the trademarks of the film is these, uh, reoccurring sequences, uh, where they play the most gorgeous song you've ever heard in a movie. Uh, and then that's combined with a, a slow motion sequence, a, a, a sort of beautiful, elegant but pained slow motion sequence of our two main characters who like joe said are um they're sort of having a, an emotional affair they're both their uh, uh spouses are having a full-on affair which they find out um in little bits and pieces in sort of off-screen fragments they find it out in these very subtle ways through the movie and you kind of have to put the pieces together yourself uh so their partners are having f a full-on affair they begin this this sort of emotional affair um and so there's all these sequences of them mm. uh just sort of brushing by each other um catching eyes um kind of very very there's a lot in this movie that is that is sort of um rom-com trademarks this movie is, reminds me a lot of she's out of my league i, I i'm dead serious <laughs> i i'm there's they're, they're they're very similar movies it does play with 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 rom-com trademarks but just just at the highest level of art i mean truly at the highest highest yeah. level it's um uh, yeah anyway so this uh this is the second of those sequences um uh, uh, Maggie Chung is going downstairs to the noodle shop um, that's around the corner and she's going to pass Tony Leung on the stairs and the song this is actually a very Tarantino move uh, um, uh, by Wong Kar Wai uh, the song that plays here is uh, from another movie from a Seijin Suzuki movie Yumuje uh, uh, and it's Yumuje's theme so this was a, a very a very sort of um, this is a song from another movie that he repurposes here, um, but going along with the theme of, of the past and, and nostalgia and so on and so forth. Uh, so let's see the, that scene now. Oh, hi, Zina. Oh, bye-bye. Beautiful, stunning. I mean, this is just all about, the movie's about props. Yeah. Like, look at how fucking beautiful it is. Again, obstructions, shallow focus. Every character is in is in their own world. And then here we go. I love this shit. We start with a low angle of her carrying um, a thermos. And this is a direct uh, response to the shot where Alice Eve gets out of the car at the airport. <laughs> Truly. Truly. This is, this is his version. Camera drifts to the side as she walks down the stairs. She sees in shadow. The far background is out of focus again. And she walks into the out of focus. Nothing's signaled, nothing's like told, and everything is communicated. That's right. It's just, I don't know. Nothing said, everything communicated. Yeah, exactly. And so much of this movie, these sequences in particular, a lot of the movie is is feels very real. It feels like the minutia of everyday life. And then these sequences feel like memories. They oh, feel yeah. like yeah. moments from the past being remembered in front of you. And now she comes back out of... I love all of her outfits. They're incredible. And then I love yes. how that other character like makes the outfit sad by saying, oh, she always gets dressed up just to go to the noodle shop. She's so yep. lonely. And then, I don't know, just it's so melancholic and, and, and dreamlike and gorgeous. And the control. I love when characters move in and out of light. Like the light doesn't follow them. The camera just waits. Remember when film used to involve light? <laughs> 
Joe, this movie came out in 2000. This this might be the end of cinema. This movie. I, I don't That's know fine. how you. I I, 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 have yeah. a, I have a look. Yeah, I want to talk about that after this after this clip. And and in a, in a satisfying way, like you said, it's like we did it. No, nah, this movie is so good. We did it. And the camera just drifts to the side. Tony Leung eating dumplings. I mean, do you remember the movies, folks? I'm weeping. Do you remember the fucking movies? Tony Leung's eating dumplings. I'm crying. I'm weeping. The longing. This is this the is longing. what I thought I was signing up for when I decided to get into entertainment. Now look at me. You dressed up like a TSA. Now look agent. at me. This is what I this is what I fucking this is it. And now back, I love now this cut. This cut, not a hard cut, a kind of soft cut back to the way these, this scene would have really been lived. Uh, the sound of feet on the steps. You can stop it there, Brian. Thanks so much. Uh, the sound of feet on the steps, the reality of the moment. So the movie's constantly moving back and forth between sort of the minutia of the present and then the, the, the dreamy nostalgia of the past. So it's as though you're constantly, it's what you're seeing is, is sort of moving into the past before your eyes, turning into memories. Um, and that's not a novel uh, um, analysis because this movie is very self-consciously about the past, about memory. Um, there are several um, quotations throughout the movie against the black screen that um, are, are increasingly about um, memory, about the sort of the the intangibility of memory, um, how memory is all about desire. It's about loss. Um, and uh, that to me, on this viewing in particular, Yes, it's about desire. Yes, it's about longing. But the bigger category that all of those things collapse into is, to me, this is a movie about the past and about how yeah. about how memory functions yeah. um, and the things that turn into memories. The simple sort of uh, minutia, the simple joys of life don't tend to turn into memories. It's the longing and the desire, the unresolved desires that turn into memories. Um, this movie is a, a masterpiece. They used to make movies where, like, they, you know, it was just allowed to be about like light and texture and uh, and one theme and boring into that theme and exploring all the corners of that theme. And the theme could just be uh, loss and longing. And you know what it, it takes? It makes me sad. I mean, the movie made me sad to watch. Because you know what it takes? It takes a, it takes a Wong Kar Wai. This guy is a demanding filmmaker, like we said, 15 months to shoot, 30 times the amount of footage that we see on film. Uh, and, and much of that has to do with his, his obsession with detail, uh, um, with beauty. He hated working on sound stages. He hated special effects. Um, and not to mention at this time, Wong Kar Wai was, was a risky bet for financial, uh, from a financial perspective. I mean, we, we saw, you know, the movie ultimately lost money in, in, in its initial run. Um, and you know, he, he had a, uh, a string of critical hits at, at this point, uh, in the nineties, you know, starting with the big breakout Chunking Express in 94, and then also, uh, Fallen Angels, Happy Together. Um, but he had also directed, um, uh, at least one, I think two, but at least one, you know, pretty expensive, uh, uh, flop, um, a historical film called Ashes of Time, uh, that cost, uh, let me see, um, about 40 million uh, engrossed uh, only about 10 million. Uh, so investors, you know, distributors in Asia uh, at this point were wary. They 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 were hesitant uh, to invest in another Wong Kar Wai project. Uh, so he had to, you know, scratch and claw to find investors. He finally uh, gets some investors. The movie's uh, moving forward. Uh, and then in, in, in 1997, there was the Asian financial crisis. 
Uh, the investors backed out. The original investors backed out, and then you know a year later he had to he had to piece together another investment group, another set of backers, basically start over from scratch. Um, uh, he gets the movie made against all odds, financially depleted, physically exhausted. Uh, and then this is the this is the kicker. I was I was shocked to find this out. Um, uh, you know, I mean, Leung wins Best Actor at Cannes. Uh, the film wins some other technical awards. Um, but the initial critical reception uh, for In the Mood for Love uh, was kind of at best blasé, uh, at worst racist. Uh, I mean, listen to these reviews. Uh, Variety called it. Uh, quote, an exquisitely fashioned melodrama, exquisite, the word we've used um, 50 times so far, and we'll use it another 50, uh, while simultaneously declaring uh, that like much of the director's work, it had more style than substance. Uh, And then The Economist, this is wild, uh, called it Orientalism light? Jesus Christ. and then, it, you know, it didn't even it just it, it gave it a very passing review. It was doing a review of, of films that were at Cannes that year. Uh, and it's one sentence, more or less one sentence review of In the Mood for Love was Orientalism light. I mean, what the fuck? So this movie, this perfect movie does not exist if Wong Kar Wai does not fight with everything he's got inside him to get it made over years. We're talking. Um, and if Tony Leung and, and Maggie Chung don't fight to get it made over 15 months, grueling 15 months of shooting. And if everybody else on the cast and in the crew don't fight, but, but ultimately Wong Kar Wai drags this movie across the finish line, refuses not to make it. And God bless him for that because otherwise we don't have this movie. I said last time, sometimes I'm afraid that all my memories of film in the past, I was a different person then. You know, we've all changed so much. Times yeah. changed so much. What are my actual opinions? It's so nice to know that one of my favorite movies really was an amazing movie that is so, so good. Yeah. This movie's good. It's not easy movie because it's for adults. So it's challenging. I think it's I think it's not it's not the easiest watch on the planet. I mean, it's the most gorgeous watch on the planet, right. but it's certainly not like you're you it, it demands you to engage and it gives you a really nice you know, bridge to engagement by just having just the most gorgeous textures, colors, just really, really wonderful. That's what makes it though, is it's not pure aesthetics. It's not just an aesthetic experiment. It's not not like Terrence Malick was in the desert and he made this beautiful film. Where it's like, if I just keep the camera still and I zoom all the way back and I have my little puppets here and here in the frame and the one hops over here, then I can call myself an auteur. I hate fucking movies that like look pretty because they're like trying to form do and thing. content. You need Slow both. Fuck. You need you, both. This people. movie is so form and much content. more than that because this movie is about real shit yeah. that we all understand whether you've like, I've never had an affair and never will have an affair, but we all understand like the, these tensions are so real and these tensions are so human that you can't help but just be drawn It's like, in. what if, what if the Sistine Chapel was about like an affair you almost I had? I was thinking about like, the Sistine imagine, Chapel Imagine too. if, imagine if like everybody's had this. Imagine a, a, some unresolved desire, unresolved longing in your life, someone um, that, that you desired or something you desired and it never came to fruition and it's, and it's sort of haunted and sat with you and also been a sort of a strange source of comfort uh, because you were alive in that moment. You were really alive yeah, because, because longing is to be alive is to, is to have desire. Um, 
imagine if someone took that moment and and Michelangelo did the fucking Sistine Chapel based yeah. on that. Yeah. That's what In the Mood for Love is. It is a masterpiece about a about one of the most relatable human experiences. Um, and yeah, it's it, it is just truly a gorgeous movie. There's so much more to say about it, but let's get to the ending of the movie. Um, this is where. This is this is this is the final step for me in, in enshrining this as the masterpiece that it is, is is just an exquisite, unexpected yet perfect ending. Uh, I think about this ending constantly. Uh, it 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 moves me every time I see it. Um, so to give you a little context, um, uh, they do end up it moves from an emotional affair like right to the border of a real affair. We don't have any evidence that they're ever physical, um, but it moves right to that border. Yeah. They are still married um, and they don't want to turn into their cheating spouses is always their kind of mm. modus operandi. Uh, and so at the very farthest limit of them turning mm. moving into a, a full affair, um, they 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 with great sadness and pain, they decide not to do that. Uh, Tony uh, Leung then moves to the Philippines for a job. And when he moves, despite several kind of close calls and missed connections, uh, they never encounter each other again in person after he moves uh, out of Hong Kong. Uh, they both kind of move around a little bit. The movie sort of uh, jumps around a bunch at the end. Um, yeah, amazing. And then at the very uh, the very final scene takes place. Um, uh, in Angkor Wat, which is a temple complex in Cambodia. It's the largest religious monument in the world, uh, originally a Hindu temple, um, and then was gradually transformed into a Buddhist temple towards the end of the 12th century. Uh, so just one of the one of the great wonders of the world. It's truly magnificent, uh, just like sort of mossy, earthen, stone temple with all these carvings in it. It's truly gorgeous and labyrinthine. Um, and against all expectation, the movie ends there. Um, and the context for this scene, you don't realize I realize until the very end, but the, the, the context for this scene is this little conversation that Tony Leung had with a friend earlier in the movie, um, where he, uh, he related this story to the friend about how, uh, uh, an old story about how people used to, when they had a secret, uh, they would go to the top of a mountain, make a hollow in a tree and whisper their secret into the hollow and then cover it with mud. Uh, this thing that only they knew know about, whispering it into the hollow. Um, and as we'll see in this final scene, that's exactly what he does at Angkor Wat. And it is just, it just, it, it crushes you and yeah, uplifts you at the same time. Oh, we're also going to see some newsreel footage at the end, at the beginning here, which is really interesting, which is uh, Charles de Gaulle's yeah. visit to Cambodia in 1966. Uh, this was kind of the end of the imperialist era in Southeast Asia, right before the, the Vietnam War, Civil War, et cetera, et cetera. L'appareil présidentiel immobilisé sur la piste de l'aéroport de Pochentong. Le prince Norodom Sihanouk est aux côtés de la reine Sisovat. Cambodia was no longer a French colony at this point, but it was still sort of informally related to, to France. Here comes French President Charles de Gaulle. This is the end of the old world, right on the edge of the, of the Vietnam War. de Pochentong à Phnom Penh. 200,000 And we just know how much death, death and destruction is about to is about to happen. And then we're at Angkor Wat, silent, but for a a, a monk in the doorway. Here's some birds. A hole in the stone. A finger. Tony Leung. 
staring into the hole. Leans forward. Camera pans behind him. Gorgeous flare on the camera from the sun. See this this sort of old temple, partly decayed. You can see his his sort of cheeks moving a little bit. He's saying something, but we're behind him. We don't know what he's saying. Just tonguing this temple. Subtle movements in his face. Every shot is is partial. It's obscured. Jesus. The monk's head out of focus in the middle of the frame. Every decision is flawless. And then Tony Leon walking out of the temple. Looks great. Rack focus to the temple. Walking out silhouetted. Night. Temple's empty now. It's texture. Place. Fucking good. It's night now. And we see there the hole that he whispered into has been filled with mud. Come on. We never, we never really know the nature of, we never know the full story uh, of the relationship between the two main characters. What, what was it between them? Was it passing? Was it love? What, what, what was it? What did they really feel for each other? They were always hesitant to, to say. They're so just like truth. trapped in their like lives. And whatever it was, whatever that thing was, now is in that hole in the temple filled with mud forever. I can't stand it. It's so good. All right. Uh, we can stop there. Excellent. So uh, before we go out, one last thing that I want to do here yeah. in honor of In the Mood for Love, which we are picking as a better movie. Uh, yeah. That's okay. So In the Mood for Love is better than She's Out of My League. In the Mood for Love and, goes into the canon. Yep. So right now the canon is Weekend for Bur- weekend uh, at, Bernie's. at Bernie's and In the Mood for Love. Yep. And the trash canon movies we can never see again, nope. Seven Seal, yep. uh, and and uh, she's, she's Out of My, my league. league. Okay. That's right. um, so the last thing I want to do is in, in uh, honor of uh, In the Mood for Love, uh, I want to uh, recreate that final scene of whispering uh, a secret, um, uh, whispering a secret in, into the hole of the temple. Um, if you want to just sort of lean over the mic, cu- sort of cup your hands around it. Um, and if, 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 uh, if you don't mind going first, would you, would you mind whispering? Um, and I'm actually going to take my, my headphones off for this so that I don't hear. So it'll just be you and the mic. Okay. okay great. Um, whisper into the mic. Yeah. What you hope to get out of weekend and Bergman's, what are, this journey yeah. we're embarking on here? What, yeah, what, what are your desires, your okay. hopes for this podcast? Okay. Tell your secret into the microphone and I'm not going to listen. I hope. 
Me and Brett have a lot of fun watching a lot of different movies, and I hope that you have fun watching all the movies or listening to us watch the movies too and thinking about, oh my gosh, yeah, you're right, maybe I didn't like that movie as much as I thought I did, and we can all like, get out of our own way and just kind of embrace what we actually like, you know what I mean? And then, you know, you know, I hope that everyone has fun and our, our audience grows and everyone enjoys the podcast and then Brett and I can like do a live show in, in six months or whatever. Okay, Brett, I'm done. Done? Okay. All right. Uh, do you mind taking off your hand? No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. Joe and I have been uh, friends for a long time now, and we've been through so much together. We've, we've uh, laughed. We, we've cried. Uh, we've worked side by side for many years. And, you know, sure, sometimes we're, we're mean to each other. Um, uh, but... but if anything, you know, I think that, that the meanness is a kind of uh, mercy in a way because, you know, I know I know that he's under a lot of stress. I know that I'm under a lot of stress. And, and sometimes you you just need that that catharsis of 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 being being a little stinker. Um, and it does, you know, it feels good afterwards. Um, but that's just that's one that's just one piece. That's just a small piece of the of the puzzle. And, and I want this this podcast to, to reflect every part of our relationship, every every uh, passion that we have. I want it to be about movies. I want it to be about life and, and and love, and I want it to be about about comedy. And I want it to be as 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 limitless as our friendship, and, and equally as meaningful. Um, I didn't actually say that sounds like a YP, not an MP, um, when Joe told me. He had high cholesterol. He didn't tell me he has high cholesterol. I don't know if he does or not. I think he probably does, um, whether he knows it or not. Okay. Hmm, long secret. And we're going to pack it up with mud. There it is. There it is. Uh, thank I'm the only one who's heard them both. Ah, oh, shit. Sorry. Brian. Don't. <laughs> All right, well. Our engineer, Brian, everybody. Don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me at dinner. All right. Um, that concludes this episode of Weekend at Bergman's. Thank wow. you so much for joining us again. You can follow us on Twitter at Weekend Bergman, also on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, make sure to let us know what film pairings you want to see on yep. future episodes. We will be doing listener-submitted episodes. Mm. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, please. Please, please, please. We will read our favorite ones out uh, on the podcast. And our least week. favorite ones. Oh, we'll read our least favorite ones, too. Uh, and next week on Weekend at Bergman's, uh, we're watching two movies that take place over the course of a single day. That's what they have in common. They take place over the course of a single day. From the art house, we are watching Chantel Ackerman's uh, classic Jean Dielman, 23, Quai de Commerce, 1080 Bruxelles. Uh, apologies for any mispronunciations there. Yeah. And then from the mainstream, we are watching Die Hard, starring Bruce Willis. Uh, so I think, um, you know, I have, I kind of have inklings going into this. I have a little, I have, a, you know, sort of a, a sense of maybe which way I might lean. But this is definitely, I think, going to be a tighter competition next week. I can't I wait to hear what you think to say about those two films. Yeah. Folks, check them out with us. Watch, check yes. them out, see what you think. It's going to yes. be a close, it's going to be neck and neck. I'm very excited for next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us. Joe, yes. this was a blast. Absolutely. I can't wait to keep going. Amen. See you next week, everybody. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original Dog. podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.